Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. We're getting together to talk about all the things we used to do. The laughs, the passions, the little Sebastians, the pets with belly too. Putting it all in a podcast Then we'll send it up into the sky We're calling it Parks and Recollection Come on, little podcast Spread your wings and fly Hey, everybody! It's time. It's time for Parks and Recollection. And, Alan, I don't know about you, but we are approaching this this episode and the next one are are very much the sweet spot of the show. Would you not we say? We are approaching the culmination of the Harvest Festival arc. This is one of the most legendary arcs in the history of the show. It is. And Indianapolis, which is what we're dealing with today, is a particularly interesting. I have many thoughts. So much to talk about. You have a personal relationship. Yeah, personal relationship. Should we get through the details here? Episode title, et cetera, et cetera. Let's remind the folks of what we speak. Okay, we're doing the episode Indianapolis, season three, episode six, written by Katie Dippold, directed by Randall Einhorn. Original air date, February 24th, 2011. Leslie and Ron go to Indianapolis to receive a commendation from the state. While there, Ron finds out his favorite steakhouse is closed, and Leslie thinks Chris is cheating on Anne. Boo. Drama. Drama. Boo. Drama. <laughs> yeah, how'd you feel about that going? <laughs> Boo. Uh, we got some quick nopes notes here. Uh, number one, the perfumes and clones that Dennis Feinstein has created include blackout, attack, yearning, thickening, itch, coma, side boob, and his latest, allergic. Which one would you would you wear? Uh, I like, uh, I, li- I don't know. I like, uh, I'm trying to think which one of these is least offensive. <laughs> that's what, maybe itch <laughs> maybe itch they're all offensive so that means you can actually go with whichever one you like we're at, we kind of have a blackout right now we're all wearing black t-shirts if, if anyone's watching this video feed <laughs> the producers know what we're talking about but yeah um all right number two nope's note charles mulligan's is not a real steakhouse in indianapolis nope since mulligan's closes due to health code violations it was better slash more legally clearable to have a fictional steakhouse serve as Ron's favorite. <laughs> so uh, that's uh, not a real steakhouse. Don't go looking for that in Indianapolis. Number three, this episode was originally supposed to end Rob Lowe's run on the show, but he loved us all so much that he stuck around for another 70 episodes. So uh, give it up for Rob for sticking around. I, I, I'm the thing that wouldn't leave. <laughs> I just, I, I, I was the guest that came for a weekend and ended up moving in permanently. I mean, how great, how great is that though? And, and, and how awesome is it to have sort of the opportunity to, to not, not really test drive because that makes it sound like, you know, but it's almost on both sides. Yeah, like, it yeah, let's, it, it's, it's almost like dating somebody, right? You're dating somebody. You're like, Hey, does it work? And we kind of got married for a while. I mean, <laughs> we've talked about it a lot in previous episodes, but it, it, it bears repeating. This w- was unlike anything I've ever done in my career in that it was a blind date. On as you say, on both parts, I was like, "I'll come in and do six episodes, and maybe I'll do more, and maybe I won't." And they were like, "Great, maybe you will, and maybe you won't." And you know, we we all fell in love. But this this w- could, would have and could have been in an alternative universe. Goodbye to Chris Traeger. I'm glad it wasn't. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're very glad it wasn't because, uh, for one thing, this podcast wasn't exist, and then <laughs> we're glad that is because. But but also, you know, it 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 truly is. I think works with the story as well because, as we'll talk about in this episode of this podcast, um, there's kind of an organic way for Chris to exit the show, and then kind of there's an organic way back. So I, I think it was handled pretty well, and and um, you know, we're happy it all worked out. Uh, let's get into the synopsis. Leslie and Ron head up to Indianapolis to receive a commendation at the Indiana State House for reestablishing the Pawnee Harvest Festival. See how it ties in there? On the way, it's clear that Ron has only agreed to come for the opportunity to eat at Charles Mulligan's Steakhouse. And no, let me stop here. Let me stop here. Is there, any, yeah. is there any, did anybody stop to think about the fact that the two most critical places in the storytelling are the Statehouse and the Steakhouse? I don't think that. Well, here's one thing: uh, the state house turns out to not factor in at all. So that was one solution. Oh, where it's like it's truly the thing where you know it's funny at the beginning of an episode where you just have to like make up a reason why they're going. So like it never comes back. Yeah. Like I don't think it. I don't think it ever comes. It just like literally like a throwaway. You have to do this as a writer, right? It's like you have to give them a reason to go. Yeah. And it's like her first talking head's like we're getting an award. I'll say it's just never mentioned again. <laughs> because by the way, this is such a packed. Like there's like seven stories going on in this episode we'll go through them later but but it's so packed she's like we're getting an award it's like we'd never see that never saw the <laughs> it's award like, no. it's all about ron eating steak yes <laughs> so it's like, as it should be which is which is more fun which ultimately is more fun and by the way a well we would keep returning to so yes it's it sets it up um so Anne is worried about the state of her and chris's relationship she asks Leslie to look for signs of whether Chris is cheating on her while she's there. A rare dramatic turn for the show, a little bit. Yeah. Um, more stakesy than the usual episode. Leslie and Ron stop at Chris's apartment to pick him up for dinner, where Leslie discovers a woman's razor and a pink swimming cap in the bathroom. Upon hearing this, Anne decides to drive up to Indianapolis to confront Chris and his cheating ways. Mm. Um, I, it, it's it's very... By the way, this is like the first like minute of the episode. It's very it's very rich, very packed episode, like I said. Um, we have a prompt from the producers here, which I love. Talk steak and steak houses. Personal favorites. I would love to get into this. Well... Right up my alley. Right, right up my alley. Right up my alley is Mr. Atkins. You know, I'm a big protein-eating fool. And yeah. uh, I got to tell you... One of the most famous steakhouses in the world is in Indianapolis. That's right. And it's called St. Elmo's and not named after my movie, St. Elmo's Fire. It just totally is, unrelated. It's totally just, unrelated. Just a wonderful coincidence. Um, and is filled with celebrity photos, as a lot of restaurants have celebrity photos on them. Let's face it, we've all seen it, and some are better than others. This takes the cake because one of the photos they have is a guy pulling Saddam Hussein out of his spider hole. They're also known for their unbelievable um, shrimp cocktail sauce. It's world famous. Spicy. Beyond. You can't imagine. You can't imagine how they use respirators as they make it because it's so toxic, I think. And um, much later in the show, when we'll get to the episode, we the the gang actually goes to St. Elmo's in Parks and Rec. And yeah, so so Rob and I have both been to St. Elmo's, so that's a great one to shout out. It's in Indianapolis, which is the title of this episode. I, I want to shout out a couple of New York and L.A. places because those are the, the places I've lived the longest. Uh, Peter Luger Yo, in New York oh, and Brooklyn. Let's go. Classic, classic. Um, don't go there for the service. Go there for the meat. Uh, yep. <laughs> the, the waiters are legendarily uh, brusque. Yes. Uh, Keens is another one I really like in New York. L.A. L.A. is more of like an atmosphere place for me. I like Musso and Frank, which is really close to where I live. And you know why I, I like, actually like? Can I just? This is just a good, one of the great humble brags of all time. Get in there. Do you know why I like Musso and Frank's? Why? Someone's star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame is outside the front door. Do you want to guess who's? Oh is? shit! Is it really? It is, is your star outside Musso and Frank? And there's a whole like hierarchy. It's like, yeah, I got it. I finally got my star in the Hollywood Walk of Fame. It's in front of a Frogert store. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, but my, you got a you got a good spot. You got, got a good. Mine's in Koreatown. Mine's my 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 mine's so far away. It's in Koreatown. It's in front of Parks Barbecue, which is also which another another great. Yes. <laughs> By the way, a lot of photos up in Parks Barbecue. There, Aziz's photos up in Parks Barbecue. We go all the, time, yeah, all yeah. the time. He's up there with Andy Sandberg. So, um, great steaks, great steakhouses. Uh, that was a fun detour. Um, let's talk a little bit about the relationship between Anne and Chris and uh, this this story development. Here. I, I kind of remember this. Greg Levine, you have a note here. Yeah, you know, I remember being in a pod, which um, 
it was a term we used in the room about just a group of writers who had just worked separately off from the rest of the staff. And it was Katie Dippold, our writer of the episode, Dan Gore and myself in Dan's office. And, uh, you know, I actually reached out to Katie to talk about this just to see what she had to say. And she says that she remembers pitching the idea that Anne doesn't realize Chris broke up with her um, as just a thing just that it tickled her. Uh, and then when Dan Gore found it funny, he pointed out that probably Anne wouldn't realize because no one had probably ever broken up with her before. And she said that those two like disparate but connected ideas came together and they both knew uh, that they had uh, quite an idea. Now, this is probably, a f- I remember this this uh, uh, distinctly. Now, this may be a false memory, but I remember this as, as either Katie got broken up with it, didn't know it, or her friend got broken up with it. Now, maybe I'm adding a layer of personal connection. I remember this which, too. I remember like, this too. Which is true. So this is based on a true story, I think. I did ask her that specific question, and to her credit, <laughs> she says, I don't remember. Yeah, I think she was being... <laughs> Being diplomatic, like I think it happened to either her or a friend of hers, and it's it's so funny. The idea is so funny, like getting broken up with and not realizing, it, and it's so in character because Chris Traeger is so positive, and Anne has probably never been broken up with before because she's beautiful. So that that's kind of the idea of the episode, and it really, by the way, listen to Katie's episode and Dan's episode of this very podcast. Mm-hmm. And you know, on the B side of it, sometimes I remember also being in the writers' room when we came back. And sometimes, uh, Alan, you remember countless moments of this, someone would come in and pitch an idea that some people have been working on, and the room just like lit up because everyone's brains could see where all the comedy was going to come from, from such a simple idea. Like, you know that you have a great idea when something can be pitched so quickly and simply. Um, So I I also wanted to say one thing that Katie reminded me, and it's so off topic, but it's worth bringing up, uh, is that uh, she said that thinking about this episode reminded her that um, in Dan Gore's office, he had drawings that his kids had done, like tacked to his wall. Uh, and a thing that she, she liked to do was she would like to try to draw pictures like better than his kids, but put them up on the wall as well and just to see what would happen and if you would notice. It was so funny. And a slight digression too. We talk about these pods like Greg was mentioning. Oftentimes, if you have a writing staff that's large enough, and they're not always large enough back in the day when we were making 22, 24, 30 episodes a year, whatever, we'd have enough writers to split up into groups, little, little, and we call them pods. And so you might go, hey, Katie and Dan and Greg, we're going to go work on the A story for this. And they'd go try to pitch for half the day and then come back with something. So that's a way to divide and conquer. And it's kind of, it's kind of really smart because sometimes you sit in a room with 12, 15 people and a lot of people are just kind of out to lunch. Uh, it's a way to engage people and sort of, Again, divide and conquer stories. Um, I want to also point out, Rob, uh, the moment we really liked here, and we have a screenshot in our research. It's your face. <laughs> it's when Leslie goes to your closet, opens it up, and says, ah, there's a lot of coats in here. And Chris replies, I, I like, like coats. coats. <laughs> it's vintage Traeger. And as I was watching this episode, I realized, and we've also talked about the my inspiration for inspirations for playing Chris was early, a little bit of Tom Cruise early on that we moved away from and that I discovered uh, partially later that it was Kenny G and his positivity. And yeah. I noticed this line reading and there's another one coming up that are, that I would have done completely differently a few episodes down the line. I hadn't wow. found that gear yet of, of sort of the Kenny G like super like, I like coats like that. That's what <laughs> yeah. I would have done later. Yeah, but yeah, okay. But in this version, I literally just say it f- like flatly, matter of factly. Chris Traeger does not have a lot of shading. So, <laughs> no, so, so and by design and 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 I hadn't found I hadn't found it yet. And there's there are a couple times in here where like you go, oh, I, I don't really have this guy totally down. He's a little more real. And he hadn't he hadn't gone into that kind of hard comedy character quite yet. Yeah, and I feel that happens with 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 writing and acting kind of simultaneously, right? It's like the writers find it and the actor finds it, and that's when you get the fully formed character. But I totally agree. It, it also struck me that you know a lot of times people say that Andy is kind of like a is kind of like a dog. He's like a golden retriever, but in some ways there's there's some dog like aspects to Chris as well. He's he's almost like a greyhound or like a whippet. Yes, it's like yeah, I like coats. Like it's just like very. Yes. very it's, that's why it's where the comedy comes from. Like you said, it's very black and white. Dogs, it's simple, dogs right? like bones. Chris Trigger yeah. likes coats. 
Yeah, he's like, I like coats. Yeah, he does. <laughs> All right. Uh, back at Pawnee, Tom convinces the Parks Department, including a reluctant Ben, to attend Dennis Feinstein's cologne launch party at the Snake Hole Lounge. Tom hopes to pitch his new cologne, Tommy Fresh, to Dennis, but Dennis is disgusted by the scent and tells Tom the cologne industry is not for him. Back in Indianapolis, to Ron's horror, when he, Chris, and Leslie av- arrive at Charles Mulligan's Steakhouse, they discover it has been shut down by the health department. Chris invites everyone back to his place to eat. But to Ron's further horror, Chris has prepared a vegetarian meal. Okay, so this is one of my all-time, probably number one memories of making this entire show. I love it. I love it. The, the nighttime exterior at the closed-down steakhouse with Nick, where he is so sad that it's shut down and... And when he asks about the steaks, like, what do you think happened to them? <laughs> do you think they got eaten? Like they're living like little puppies that he's worried about. It's it hit that that is the funniest. We also did a, a sequence that didn't make it into the show, into the episode in the fun run where he was so desperate to get in when it was locked. He started climbing the building, and <laughs> and Nick le- legitimately started scaling this building trying to get in just making it up and just just a a total improv um and when i sit down next to him i put my arm around him hey buddy you want to go back to my place and i talk to him like he's a little boy it's just one of my favorite i'll never forget it as long as i live because no one was funnier than nick ever it's truly so funny because you build that's that's what happened right you build the character for two full seasons of television and you get into the third season and then you start to subvert, right? So it's like you see him be tough and manly for 35 episodes or whatever. Yep. And then he's crying and saying, what do you think happened to the steaks that were in there after they closed? Do you think they got eaten? <laughs> like that is that is an amazing joke. First of all, it's an amazing delivery. Yeah. And I think we ultimately realized in the edit, this section was so funny, we expanded it. So one of the lines he has, he has a, a, a line that says, they just boarded her up like she's some kind of common warehouse. I should have been here. Like he's talking about the building, like the, the steakhouse, like it's his relative. Yeah. That was from the candy bag. So that was from the mushroom candy bag. These are all alts that we shot sort of extra stuff on the day. And, I, and again, in the editing room, you have the luxury of expanding the sections that work really well and, you know, trimming the ones that don't work quite as well. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's really funny and, and ultimately spawns like a million gifts and, and sort of, you know, this episode has a, has a we ha- well. There's some more lines coming up there. It's sort of legendary lines, but um, yeah, his love of meat. By the way, it continues to fuel further episodes, <laughs> of future episodes. It's, it's just the beginning. I remember um, shooting Chris's apartment. I think it's the only time we go to. Well, it's in Indianapolis, so we wouldn't be there anymore. But I remember shooting it in the worst neighborhood in hollywood like here we are we're supposed to be in indianapolis <laughs> yeah you know and obviously we shoot it in la and sound stages yeah. and all that. but this was the most disgusting area and it but there's this beautiful modern apartment but i remember it like it was yesterday it was hot it was 106 degrees outside it was like it was cramped nobody could get the equipment up the steps there's a reason why you oh, shoot wow. on a sound stage because you don't have to deal with any of this stuff and i just remember being an absolute nightmare and <laughs> and chris's apartment is kind of like a i don't know man it's kind of i don't know it, it, I, I got to be honest. It gave me the willies a little bit. I, and uh, I have a little bit of post-traumatic stress disorder when I think about shooting that set. It's a, And people don't realize this when, you know, when you when I watch movies now, I think about the practical aspects of it. Right. Yeah. I think like a line producer sometimes, yes. a location manager, all these. I'm like, man, where do they shoot? And I love I, I, I just watched this movie, uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once. It's a great movie directed by the Daniels starring Michelle Yeoh. And. They shot a lot of it takes place in an, it's a wild movie, but a lot of it takes place in a huge office building. And I was like, that looks familiar. I was like, I shot in that building for weeks on my show forever, like years ago. It's the same building like, because you see the same locations. It's like it's the same, and and that's just the practicality of it. So this you don't think about that ultimately if you're not in the industry as much. I think, but. But yeah, every time I watch the show, I think back to the actual locations we were in. So it sounds like, you know, that weird modern apartment was in a strange part of town. Yeah. Um, we also have to have to mention uh, uh, Dennis Feinstein, played by Jason Mansukas. Uh, he's really, 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 really funny. And we brought him back again and again. I think this is his first episode. Am I right, Greg? Yeah, this is the first time we actually see him. Yeah, I, I, I love the idea that uh, his, his real name is Dante Fierro. 
but they changed it uh, to Dennis Feinstein because it was more exotic in Pawnee. I have a distinct memory of <laughs> Dan Gore pitching this because he loved the idea of how exotic a Jewish name would be in Pawnee. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, just like, <laughs> so he had that joke uh, in, in the, in the chamber ready to go. It was, it was very funny. Yes. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. That is so true, Greg. LinkedIn knows that as a small business owner, you don't have the time or the resources to spend countless hours looking for the right person for the job. So they have launched a new feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. And it isn't just a job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching. In fact, get this, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Wow, that, that, that's impressive. That's amazing. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash parks. That's linkedin.com slash parks to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. At one point, Ben mentions the movie Hope Floats, directed by Forrest Whitaker, which is one of the, <laughs> I feel like is a, a random, like sometimes we get on random tangents and the writers are, we got on a Hope Floats tangent and um, that movie and Swim Fan were movies we would talk about. It, it's just, just the most random movies and I love how that stuff gets in the episode. What is it about, that's such a comedy room thing. I, we're in the middle of writing my new comedy for Netflix and we're in the room and the room is obsessed with Ford v. Ferrari. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's just like it's a, it's just like, you know, movies that are like they're not the I mean, Ford v. Ferrari is pretty good, but it's just it's just it's just like a movie that came out like I was walking past a poster for a movie called In Good Company. It's a Topher Grace, uh, uh, Dennis Quaid movie. Scarlett Johansson is actually in it, too. But it's like, yeah, that movie. It's like it's a movie. It's just like a. I don't want to say like average movie but yeah it's like it's a movie that came out and like you know people have heard of it i spent a lot on the grinder we were obsessed with um uh oh god what's the one liev shriver's tv series that ran forever oh uh i love talking about this this roy show. donovan <laughs> right ray donovan ray donovan, like, I was I like, roy, donovan. Ray, like, roy donovan i think it, i think what brother. it is if you really do a deep dive on it it's the they're all movies or tv shows that someone other than you love. Yeah, it's like their favorite show, right? It's like your uncle's favorite it's your show, uncle, Ray Donovan. 100%. Right? Yeah. It's your cousin, your uncle, or your dad's thing. Like, oh, I, hey, have you seen Ford v. Ferrari? And you're like, <laughs> have you seen Ray Donovan? There's a whole like li list. So listeners out there, pick your own list of of things in this. What would we yeah. call this genre? It's a really so, funny but, genre. I, I mean, I just like calling him Ray Donovan's. I mean, that's no shade on Ray Donovan. No. It's like a really successful show. <laughs> Liam Shepard's great. I literally like, I, I, one quick Ray Donovan story. At one point, Aziz and I were talking about writing a new show together. We've talked about it for a while. So we, had, we were like, oh, we had all these ideas. And one of the ideas we're really excited about is like a guy who's like a, he's kind of like a fixer and he like solves, like he's not a, he's not like a lawyer. He's not a cop, but like comes in like, solves problems and like he cleans he's kind of like a pr guy but he's not like it's kind of like that and then we looked it up it's like did we just come up with the show ray donovan again because i think that's the premise yes. of that show so i think we just came up with ray donovan it's like well we can't do that that's the show right now anyway it, it it's what is your ray donovan what it's like is it like you know the, is it the closer or is it like you know i'm trying to think of shows that are like that kind of uh that kind of feel but anyway you know ray donovan ran seven seasons and 82 episodes and i also think that a weird interesting thing about the ray donovans if you will is they actually tended to run a lot longer than you think with more I, episodes than i you mean think they yes. massively successful show there's no shade on these shows but yeah you know what i'll tell you what else is in that suits 
Yeah, that's gonna. I literally was gonna say suits. Brazilian Bris- Isles suits. It's like this kind of like kind of kind of world. <laughs> anyway, it's like a great. I, I looked at our, our. We shot this last show on the stages. It was like, man, Brazilian Isles shot here for years. Like way more successful than any show you could think of. For the but, longest yeah. time, I thought Brazilian Isles was a coffee table book. Isn't there? I mean, isn't there like again. a thing like you go to Rizzoli or I, it's like in in the mall? <laughs> oh yeah, I'll meet you at Brazilian Isles and we'll get some coffee table books and then we'll walk yeah. over and see a movie. <laughs> I think of them like a Salino and Barnes. That's yeah. what it is. I mixed up <laughs> Salino and Barnes with Rizzoli and Isles. Classic law firm name. Uh, so, and then the the last thing I'll mention about the, the Portobello mushroom story, oh, yeah. very funny. Uh, I feel like this was a precursor to the eventual burger cook-off story yep. in Soul Mage, which is episode 10 of the season. We'll get to that episode, but I just wanted to mention that it is a little bit of a foreshadowing when he finds the the Portobello burgers. He's so funny. Nick, again, Nick is, is a genius, and he's particularly funny in this episode, but when he when when I reveal the portobello mushroom sizzling on the grill, it just he looks at it like it's I don't even know what. It's a great reaction. Yeah. And you're just like, it's a healthier option. It's a healthier okay. option. <laughs> and eventually shows up at Chris's apartment, wild move, and accuses him of cheating. Chris explains he shaves his legs with the lady's razor for swimming, and that the pink shower cap is from his participation in a breast cancer awareness triathlon. More importantly though, Chris tells Anne that they actually broke up over a week ago. Anne realizes that Chris was so positive in how he ended the relationship that she was totally oblivious to the breakup and is completely mortified. Great twist. It's funny the things you remember. I remember having to, to deliver the law, the explanation for the razor and the um, shower cap. It's sort of a mini speech. And it had to come out fast and perfect to, to really work. <laughs> And um, I remember being not easy to do. Uh, it's a mouthful. It was a mouthful. I, I, go, go back. If you're watching the episode right now, just pull that up because it's like, it's very long. It's long. <laughs> it's, it's, very, it's a long explanation. There's a lot of, well, that's that's actually one of the curses of being Chris Drager is that there's a lot of precision with how he speaks and there's there's no room for fumbling. No. There's no, like this guy doesn't fumble his words. You have to get it perfectly and you have to get it pretty fast. Like I remember... Again, doing the table read sometimes is Chris Drager. Yes. You had to read it fast. <laughs> you know the thing I, I as an as an actor, I am aware of other actors' strengths and shall we say weaknesses. And I love watching bad acting on TV. It's usually on TV because in a movie you have time to get it perfectly. But TV, I've always said, if you like a performance that you've seen on television, that person is ten times better than you even think they are. Oh yeah, and um. You'll see actors on TV take a breath in the middle of a speech. And really all that is, is it just a little beat so they can remember where the fuck they are in the dialogue. <laughs> and yep. and it, it's patently obvious once you look at it. And it's also, I mean, think about how many episodes are done. And especially if you're number one, number two on the call sheet, you're just getting massive amounts of information. And, and you have to memorize that stuff. And you might be getting it the day before or even the day of oh, and yeah. you're just delivering these huge speeches and and by the way the, the the our bar for quality has gone up so high you know what i mean like people are expecting a movie every week yep like a cinematic quality experience and it's 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 challenging it's definitely challenging with the schedule so um shout out to all the actors out there trying to memorize lines I, I, it, it's 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 crazy and I'll i mean go, i i'm not good at it like i like i'm not good at memorizing lines it's very difficult i'll go one step further shout out to all those actors who are delivering speeches without a big breath in the middle but here i'll give you a bad version of it right now here's um okay here's a line from the show they just boarded her up like some common warehouse i should have been there i should have been there. That's somebody doesn't know the, the dialogue. Yeah, yeah. I and, and notice, and they sometimes they look around. They're doing stuff to like you know try yes. to camouflage it yeah, right? yeah, 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 as yeah, if yeah. it's in character. I've seen man. I've and and honest, honestly, like hopefully you get through that the first couple takes, and they then they learn the lines. As a director, you're whatever showrunner. You're like you're waiting for you, you don't give you wait to give notes. Like yep. for me, like if I see that, I'm like hey, get through the line. I know they're trying to remember it, so give them a couple takes. Right, That's give right. them a couple takes. I was saying, I worked on ER uh, for a bit, and I remember learning and would talk about it in the tours I gave that uh, a few of the actors um, would put their lines in the script in the clipboard that they were yes. Oh, yeah. So if you see a few, there are certain ones who tended to look a lot at their notes <laughs> as doctors. They're actually reading the script. Wow, that's that's great, man. That's for the same for the ER rewatch podcast. Uh, By the way, <laughs> that's the, amazing. the most famous version of that is, of course, 
Brando in Apocalypse Now. Yes. Where he does all those crazy, like, head turning where he's all of a sudden staring at the ceiling. <laughs> That's where the cue card is. I didn't know and, that. And, 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 then, and then he all of a sudden looks down at his at the floor and that's where that cue card is. So all those crazy head oh turns that Brando does in Apocalypse are merely him looking for the cue cards. That That's legit maybe the greatest movie ever made. And I'm like, I didn't know that. That's, yep. it's, it's, it's fantastic. I also want to shout out one more read from, from Rob when uh, Leslie says she found concealer in his oh. medicine cabinet. And you say, I'm a human being. I get blemishes. It's, that, <laughs> it's very vulnerable. Vulnerable. It's. I remember that. That made me laugh out loud because he's so <laughs> yeah. he it he's so crushed by it. I'm a human being. I I'm have dignity. Being. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 yeah. The the uh, the agony of the handsome man. Uh, okay. At the Snake Hole Lounge, Ben cheers up a downtrodden Tom and tells him not to give up on his dreams, admitting that he considers Tom his friend. Andy and April haven't even mentioned those kids. They're now dating and both broke. They hold a contest to see how much free stuff they can get at the party. They earn $218 by posing as staff and accepting tips, but end up feeling guilty and put the money in the bartender's jar at Aww. the end of the night. Aww. Yeah. Yeah. Andy and April C story. I mean, th- it, this this episode is packed. packed. This episode's packed. And it's ap- a, a, kind of an, epi- uh, an example of the park's ethos, right? Some shows would just have them steal it, but you know, Mike Schur is a really good-hearted guy, very moral guy. Wrote a book on philosophy, being being how to, how to be how to be perfect, and um, and very very opinionated on money. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, he has them give back the, uh, the 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 money at the end, and you know, I guess I I, I was going to say this earlier, but I wanted to point out now that we're through some majority of the episode, just amazing how much is packed in here. There are essentially seven stories. Leslie is a detective trying to figure out what's going on, Chris. Ron's looking for steak. He's very excited about Charles Mulligan's Steakhouse. Anne thinks Chris is cheating on her. She drives up to Indianapolis. Chris has to bre- broke up with Anne and has to break up with her again, essentially, and yep. is explaining what's going on in his apartment. Tom is pitching his cologne to Dennis Feinstein. Ben is looking for friends in Pawnee and figuring out whether he's going to stay in town. And April Andy are conning people for money because they realize they're broke. I mean, that's so much. Everyone has a drive. And that, you know, watching it, I just like, oh, man, respect. Respect for, for how they ran this show because, it, it, you know, it, 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 just, it just feels very full and rich. And I think that's, uh, that's, that's a big part of it. And funny. Like, and funny because a lot of times you choose between story and plot and funny. Yes. It's, it's just fast and all those stories have inherent comedy in them so that's that's big um yeah we want to point out also at at uh, 14 minutes 15 seconds in april becomes janet snakehole that's a kind of recurring uh. alter ego that would come back later so this is kind of a a proto version of that a, a fetus version of that um and this was i really love this um at 1425 it's my friend and also uh, one of the podcasters on doughboys and uh, one of the stars of tomorrow were mike mitchell plays Bjorn Lurpus. He's try he's the guy trying to uh, uh ask ask uh Andy for for bathroom stuff as Andy fakes being a, a bathroom attendant. Um Mike is the host of uh Doughboys which is a really pop- popular podcast and uh yeah, it's it's uh it was very fun. I've been on the podcast so it's, it's fun. And the Lurpuses um are the Osmonds of uh of Pawnee. There's like a thousand of them. That's right. And is was he the first one? Greg, do you remember? That's insane. He is the first one. I looked it up. Um, I think there are 10, maybe 12 more <laughs> Lurpuses who will show up. Some will see, some are mentioned. And I have a very distinct memory late on in the run of the series. I went into editing to chat with Mike, uh, and he was on a computer. And I think I asked him what he was doing, and he was he he was uh, adding information about the Lurpus family in on, on IMDb. That's right. We did on IMDb. We would go on there. It was not full enough. Um, but yeah, so I'm looking right now. It's certainly Herman Lurpus, Morris Lurpus, Bjorn Lurpus, Dennis Lurpus. Morris Lurpus, I believe, was Joe Mandy. I think Dave right. King was also a Lurpus. I don't know. There's. It was very funny. There's a lot of them. And at the end, it was a point where if someone needed a last name, we would make them part of the Lurpus family. Lurpus was the first. Pick. Yes. Amazing. Uh, you have a lot of spare time in a writer's room. Uh, at least back then we did, it felt like. Uh, but yeah, Bjorn Lurpus. Um, all right. Seeing how distraught Anne is, Leslie decides to let Ron attend the commendation ceremony solo. Remember that? Remember the commendation ceremony? Oh, yeah. Instead, cheers Anne up with embarrassing... Well, it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Embarrassing dating stories of her own as she drives Anne back to Pawnee. 
they and the rest of the parks department end up at the snake hole lounge and ben begins to realize that he's in fact making friends with the folks at the parks department as the night winds down ben avenges tom by pouring tommy fresh all over the inside of dennis's parked suv and starving ron goes to a diner in indianapolis and orders legendarily all of the eggs and bacon that they have um so yeah it, it, again Turns out it wraps up and uh, people get along and like each other. <laughs> that's a famous scene, the Ron ordering that. I think that's a... Give me all the eggs and bacon. I believe that was a Dan Gore pitch, but I, I'm not 100% sure. It's a lot of protein. Yes, a lot of protein. This episode sees Leslie and Ben kind of take caretaker roles. Leslie for Anne and Ben for Tom. And, and it's kind of uh, it's kind of a flip-flop because usually Anne is providing Leslie with support. So I think this one we intentionally... Uh, flip that uh, dynamic and and uh sometimes you know you don't want to play the same dynamic a hundred times in a row you got to flip it sometimes otherwise it'll get monotonous it'll get boring you know i also think it was interesting i personally was uh taking this on when i was watching the episode that some of our more successful characters like the ones that we see like succeeding or doing well at things like leslie uh uh, uh you know um being great at many things and figuring things out and and with her relationships ron at the eating whatever he wants or Tom at selling uh, to people, it it's, finds them failing at those things. And instead you have April and Andy and this lovely sea story kind of coming out on top, being these honorable people who are both having fun, but then give back. Um, I just found this interesting. I think that this episode did a lot of flipping of a script that we normally do and that generated a lot of comedy. Yeah, I feel like this one, like, I feel like this episode doesn't necessarily get talked about a bunch, but I, watching it uh, the other day, I was just like, this is a very good episode. It just feels, again, it feels like it's in that pocket and it feels like a lot happens and, and, and the characters' arcs are moving in the correct pace and the correct way. And um, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. And, and it's also the thing, you know, like you mentioned, usually successful characters failing, that's, that's always kind of a, a difficult thing to pull off because, you know, you want characters to act in character, obviously, but a lot of comedy comes from failing. So when you have a character like Leslie Nope, who is a very competent person, a, a lot of the struggle we had in the writer's room was how do you make this hyper competent person funny? Because it's way funnier when someone's an idiot, right? It's yeah. way easier in some ways when someone is constantly failing. You look at Homer Simpson or Michael Scott or, you know, classic, just failing, failing, failing. Obviously, that's a little bit easier to, to, to drain comedy from, to sort of wring it out of the comedy sponge. So with Leslie, you know, it's always about uh, putting her in situations that are comedic. Having her be competent and yet fail at the same time, you know, that that's always possible too. And then having the comedy come from her interactions with the other the cast members. So, you know, that was that was one of the challenges of the show, I felt like. When when there are so many stories in an episode, whether it's Parks and Recreation or on right now on Lone Star, on nine one one Lone Star, what happens is is as the big machine keeps grinding and there's episode after episode after episode, maybe you're number one or two on the call sheet, you you have to focus on what you have to do you have to and so you'll end up watching an episode and going oh like you literally miss entire storylines because you don't have the time to be paying attention to other scenes that you're not in because you've got to keep your own own thing going so i often watch stuff and go wow i had no idea that was i get to watch it as, a, as an audience member um but in, in terms of the the time as an actor uh, to, to do your work, I think um, it's very hard um, if you're the kind of actor that needs to find their way to it. And that is a, a real legitimate acting style. I, I, I'm not I, this is not a slight of it at all. In fact, it was the gold standard of acting styles through the 70s and 80s. Um, you know, you would, and, and now time is, people just grind it out so fast that you see more the type of actor who comes fully formed with a performance, you know, the Allison Jannies of the world. Yeah. I I, mean, I, don't, I don't know about you, Rob. I'm sure you've been in the situation. Some actors, they, you get to set, I mean, you might've had rehearsals already, but you get to set and you're rehearsing for another 45 minutes yes. blocking and, and, and it's, and other actors are okay with the director blocking the scene and that's how we're going to do it. And that's how you make your day. But some actors, that is absolutely not part of their vocabulary. I say, so. I'm going to tell you just a brief story. I'm not going to name the name. Um, if you're a good enough IMDB sleuth, you can probably figure out who it is. And it was early on in the run 
and the scene was crowded bar, one bar stool seat is open. This is what it says in the script. Uh, this character sits in it. My character comes up. They have a conversation. I'm telling you it took 40, I'm not, I'm not making this up, 45 minutes for her to decide why she would sit in the chair. <laughs> and we tried, well, because there are no other chairs available. That wasn't good enough. Well, what if I didn't sit and just stood? Yeah. Well, you could, yeah. you could do that too. What if there was no chair at all? So I can say, and on and on, every permutation of anything other than there's one chair, go sit in it. That, that person was not asked back. <laughs> and, and the thing about the thing about our job and shooting a show or a movie is that ultimately there are an infinite number of ways you can block a scene. She could have walked in carrying the chair from outside the bar. Yes. You know what I mean? There's there's so many ways for a scene to be blocked. Even if it's two people talking in a room, someone could be lying on their back. Okay, so you're <laughs> you know? you're you're a showrunner and director yeah. on Brothers and Sisters. Not going to name a name. We would be in the kitchen on the kitchen set or the living room set, and we would be rehearsing. There'd be seven other actors, and this actor would go, "I don't know. I'm just thinking. Why?" I mean, wouldn't this be better if this were outside? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, what? The director. But no, but I mean, I just feel like it just makes so much more sense if my character wasn't walking in. I'm like, why are we in the living room? I'm like, because that's where we're shooting it today. And that's what it says. And, and honestly, but, but like dead serious. What would you do? So this is where you have to, first of all, it's very important to establish, hopefully, very positive relationships with your whole cast. So that that goes without saying. Right. Where they trust you yep. and you hopefully have some people skills yep. and that's part of the job, right? Look, if you're Stanley Kubrick or if you're, you know, David Fincher, whoever it is, and you're a genius, fine. Go ahead, be a genius and tell people what to do. They'll listen to you because you're a genius. Right. Now, if you're not one of those guys, if you're a normal ass person, like, yeah, you have to hopefully forge a strong relationship with your actors so that you could have this conversation and ideally hear them out, hopefully hear something that they're actually worried about or that they're actually, you know, concerned about for their character in the scene or if it's something unrelated or if they're having something going on in their personal lives or if they're worried about their state and the, their, their sort of position in the show. There's so many extracurricular reasons this could happen. So you have to immediately immediately assess what the root cause is. And ultimately, like, again, in some ways, you have to keep the trains moving on time, right? You have to you have to get the scene shot. So it's really about balancing this person who needs to rehearse for an hour or wants to set the scene outside or change all of their lines. It's really just ideally a situation where you can talk it out and reach some sort of compromise or, barring that, somehow convince them that they thought of your way of blocking the scene originally. <laughs> you know, that happens right. too, right? It's like, it's like, oh yeah, this is the reason it's, this is the best way for me. You know, there's, there's that as well. I also love, you know, I've heard stories again, I won't name names, but you know, season three, four, five, you know, a director comes in and they have a, a, a way of blocking the scene that you know is going to involve seven setups, right? It's like, okay, you walk in here mm -hmm. and you enter the scene and we're behind you at steady cam, and then you go sit down and you go over there, get a, pour yourself a glass of scotch and you walk over there, whatever, whatever. I've, I've heard of a, a prominent actor who's like, okay, how about this? I go, I sit down at the desk, you shoot me out. <laughs> like, that, that's, that, like, that, that's, like, that's, that's the real, well, once you know that, that's that, that number one, the call sheet, Anthony Valgarilla, you're not, and you're a new director, you're going to shoot that dude sitting down. <laughs> like, that guy's going to be sitting down. I love this. And, and by the way, and I don't think this is the stuff that people, people who love TVs and movies have no idea that this goes on. And yes. it's so interesting. And blocking. And the other thing is that people, wonder what acting is about what makes a good actor what makes a bad actor and i'll tell you we've just kind of shit on precious actors who need to find their you know need to you know, take forever to get to where they're going to end up going the other side of that coin is equally as disturbing and that is and you see this more with new young actors they don't have any opinions at all they don't have any choices they have no yep. point of view they don't have anything they're like models that have to be told <laughs> you know it might be a good idea if you Maybe, I don't know, maybe you just go over and maybe pick up a cup of coffee and come back and sit maybe. Yep. Oh, okay, I'll do that. That's equally as bad. And yes. you see that all the time. 
And that's when you get the sort of bland, lifeless scene where there's no business going. Look, I'm all, I'm all for keeping the business normal. I don't want too much business. Yep. But like you've seen, seen like it's two people in a room sitting, nothing happens. You know, uh, you know you, there's there's obviously both extremes. There's also scenes where like someone's chewing gum, drinking coffee, checking their watch. Like like there's this too much. That would be, you know, all that stuff. That would be Richard Schiff in the West Wing. <laughs> yeah, just and I love him, but it's four hundred pieces of business. That's the I think I really- think I did. I, whenever I would do a speech in the West Wing, a big long speech, I could almost always turn around and make sure. And you'd be certain to see Richard Schiff on a unicycle behind me <laughs> yeah just uh, doing some business man yeah. doing some living it like, these characters are real yeah. we, we gotta make sure they look real yeah. we can't just have them be stagnant yeah. um all right so that was uh, we'll get back to the episode actually we're, we're done talking we're about done the this is final it. thoughts final thoughts is a great one i mean it's a great one and and, and uh penultimate in the harvest festival arc harvest festival cycle um there's an oops moment in later episodes, the show cited St. Elmo's Steakhouse as the best in the MLS, as we did on this podcast. That's so, right. So, not really, well, kind of an oops moment, because <laughs> Charles Mulligan's never get mentioned again. Yeah. And they just go, they literally go to St. Elmo's in the show. So, um, that was fun. Episode MVP, Most Valuable Pawnee, and what say you, Rob? Well, um, I've been singing his praises all episode long. Uh, you know, when you get Nick Offerman talking about uh, about meat, hard to beat him. I would say a close number two, uh, Ray Donovan. He's in the background. You can't see. Oh, He's Ray in the background. Donovan. Yes. <laughs> Ray Donovan. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network. So whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Want to connect with a family member who doesn't speak your language? Then check out the language learning program Rosetta Stone on desktop or as an app. Rosetta Stone is designed to immerse you in the language you're learning through an intuitive process. Plus, the True Accent feature even gives you feedback on your pronunciation. And with a lifetime membership, you have access to all 25 offered languages. Get started today. Visit rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 to get 50% off your lifetime membership now. That's rosettastone.com backslash pod 50 for 50% off. Do you want to go to the town Uh, where should we do this town hall, Rob? There's a lot of options in this episode, actually. Oh, we have to do it on the boarded up steakhouse for sure. We'll do it at the steakhouse, and we'll do we'll do the second town hall at the state house that never <laughs> appears. <laughs> we'll do the well, we won't film a town hall at the state is house. There, wait, is the reason the that the state house didn't appear was you thought the audience would be confused that you were at the steakhouse? <laughs> there, there's a there's a deleted scenes. You go to producer's cut. It's like see the statehouse. Go for for more of the statehouse. Go to NBC.com <laughs> for a look at the statehouse. It's like wait what? What did they say? <laughs> go to NBC.com. It's like uh, no. no. Uh, okay, so this town hall. Take all that back. It's a town hall. It's not a town hall. Question is from Millie. I'll read it. If you could hang any simple. But statement image in your office, the equivalent of Ron's bacon and eggs pick, what would it be? That's a great question, Millie. Also, like, just piercing at the heart of, are you a therapist, <laughs> Millie? This is piercing at the heart of who we are as human beings. I actually did. I actually had to answer that question for real on the show when we designed Chris's office. Oh, what was your answer? Jack LaLanne. Oh, that's a great answer. And that was, I, I bet that was early on too. So you were kind of keyed in on this character, huh? Yeah, I wanted, I, wa- I thought, who's the greatest health icon in, in the world? And Jack LaLanne was the man. I mean, he invented it. He invented it and he had a great one-piece jumpsuit to boot. Yeah, I, that's a really good answer. Uh, this is, uh, I don't have, man, eggs and bacon is pretty good. I was going to say fried rice just because I like yeah. food and that's a pretty good one. But I also like, I have a lot of energy. So maybe it's like a yin-yang and in one half it's fried rice, but the other half it's like a guy running or something. Because I feel like I'm always moving. Or, or like Red a, Bull. a treadmill or something. Yeah, Red Bull. We have Red Bull, which is basically, by the way, a thing I never, dr- I don't drink caffeine. So I don't drink Red Bull. But but uh, if I do drink caffeine, it's the most powerful shit you've ever felt. It's like, it's stronger than any drug. Like if I drank a Red Bull right now, 
my brain would explode. It would, it would be way too powerful because I never drink caffeine. Uh, thank you for the question, Millie. Very, very powerful question. Um, all right. I think that's it for this episode, Rob. You got anything else? I think I think I just we, it's time to thank all the good folks who continue to listen to this podcast. We love you. And um, please subscribe um, to the full Magella. And that's the technical term when you when you subscribe to every episode. You're, you're getting the Ray Donovan special version of the full Magilla of Parks and Recollection. And we need um, five-star reviews on Apple is always helpful. And of course, um, Greg and Schulte, you guys, um, we, we would be nowhere without you. I'd be waiting tables. <laughs> we love it. All right, guys. Goodbye for Pawnee. Thank you, everybody. See you next week. Arcs and Recollection is produced by Greg Levine and me, Rob Schulte. Our coordinating producer is Lisa Berm. The podcast is executive produced by Alan Yang for Alan Yang Productions, Rob Lowe for Low Profile, Jeff Ross, Adam Sachs, and Joanna Solitaroff at Team Coco, and Colin Anderson at Stitcher. Gina Batista, Paula Davis, and Britt Kahn are our talent bookers. The theme song is by Mouse Rat, a.k.a. Mark Rivers, with additional tracks composed by John Danik. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Parks and Recollection. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Stitcher. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at T-Mobile.com slash network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at T-Mobile.com. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the Internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. (laughs) 